Chapter Fourteen of Adam Bede. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Missy, Guangzhou, China. Adam Bede by George Eliot. Chapter Fourteen, The Return Home. While that parting in the wood was happening. There was a parting in the cottage, too, and Lisbeth had stood with Adam at the door, straining her aged eyes to get the last glimpse of Seth and Dinah as they mounted the opposite slope. "'Eh, I'm loath to see the last on her,' she said to Adam, as they turned into the house again. "'I'd have been willing to ha her about me till I died and went to lie by my old man. She'd make it easier, dying. She spikes so gentle and moves about so still. I could be fast sure that picture was drawed for her thy new Bible.' The angel is sitting on the big stone by the grave. Ah, I wouldn't a mind hadn't a daughter like that. But nobody ne'er marries them as is good for aught. Well, mother, I hope thee wilt have her for a daughter, for Seth's got a liking for her, and I hope she'll get a liking for Seth in time. Where is the use o' talking of Adam? She cares na for Seth. She's going away twenty mile aff. How's she to get a liking for him, I'd like to know? No more nor the cake will come without the leaven. Thy figuring books might ha' told thee better nor that, I should think, else thee might as well read the common print as Seth allus does. Nay, mother, said Adam, laughing, the figures tell us a fine deal, and we couldn't go far without em, but they don't tell us about folks's feelings. It's a nicer job to calculate them. But Seth is good-hearted a lad as ever handled a tool, and plenty of sense, and good-looking, too, and he's got the same way o' thinking as Dinah. He deserves to win her, though there's no denying she's a rare bit o' workmanship. You don't see such women turned off the wheel every day. Eh, thee'll always stick up for thy brother. Thee's been just the same ere sin ye were little uns together. Thee wert always for halfing everything with him. But what's Seth got to do with Marian, as is only three and twenty? He'd more need to learn and lay by sixpence. And as for his deserving her, she's two year older nor Seth. She's pretty near as old as thee. But that's the way. Folks mun always choose by contraries as if they must be sorted like the pork, a bit of good meat with a bit of offal. To the feminine mind, in some of its moods, all things that might be receive a temporary charm from comparison with what is, and since Adam did not want to marry Dinah himself, Lisbeth felt rather peevish on that score, as peevish as she would have been if he had wanted to marry her, and so shut himself out from Mary Burge and the partnership as effectually as by marrying Hetty. It was more than half-past eight when Adam and his mother were talking in this way, so that when about ten minutes later Hetty reached the turning of the lane that led to the farmyard gate, she saw Dinah and Seth approaching it from the opposite direction, and waited for them to come up to her. They too, like Hetty, had lingered a little in their walk, for Dinah was trying to speak words of comfort and strength to Seth in these parting moments. But when they saw Hetty, they paused and shook hands. Seth turned homewards, and Dinah came on alone. "'Seth Bede would have come and spoken to you, my dear,' she said, as she reached Hetty, "'but he's very full of trouble to-night.' Hetty answered with a dimpled smile, as if she did not quite know what had been said, and it made a strange contrast to see that sparkling, self-engrossed loveliness looked at by Dinah's calm, pitying face, with its open glance which told that her heart lived in no cherished secrets of its own, but in feelings which it longed to share with all the world.' Hetty liked Dinah as well as she had ever liked any woman. How was it possible to feel otherwise towards one who always put in a kind word for her when her aunt was finding fault, 
and who was always ready to take Totty off her hands. Little, tiresome Totty, that was always made such a pet of by every one, and that Hetty could see no interest in at all. Dinah had never said anything disapproving or reproachful to Hetty during her whole visit to the Hall Farm. She had talked to her a great deal in a serious way, but Hetty didn't mind that much, for she never listened. Whatever Dinah might say, she almost always stroked Hetty's cheek after it, and wanted to do some mending for her. Dinah was a riddle to her. Hetty looked at her much in the same way as one might imagine a little perching bird that could only flutter from bough to bough to look at the swoop of the swallow or the mounting of the lark. But she did not care to solve such riddles any more than she cared to know what was meant by the pictures in the Pilgrim's Progress or in the old folio Bible that Marty and Tommy always plagued her about on a Sunday. Dinah took her hand now and drew it under her own arm. "'You look very happy to-night, dear child,' she said. "'I shall think of you often when I'm at Snowfield, and see your face before me as it is now. "'It's a strange thing. Sometimes when I'm quite alone, sitting in my room with my eyes closed, or walking over the hills, the people I've seen and known, if it's only been for a few days, are brought before me, and I hear their voices and see them look and move, almost plainer than I ever did when they were really with me, so as I could touch them. And then my heart is drawn out towards them, and I feel their lot as if it was my own, and I take comfort in spreading it before the Lord, and resting in his love on their behalf as well as my own. And so I feel sure you will come before me. She paused a moment, but Hetty said nothing. It has been a very precious time to me, Dinah went on, last night and to-day, seeing two such good sons as Adam and Seth Bede. They are so tender and thoughtful for their aged mother, and she has been telling me what Adam has done for these many years, to help his father and his brother. It's wonderful what a spirit of wisdom and knowledge he has, and how he's ready to use it all in behalf of them that are feeble. And I'm sure he has a loving spirit, too. I've noticed it often among my own people round Snowfield, that the strong, skilful men are often the gentlest to the women and children, and it's pretty to see em carrying the little babies as if they were no heavier than little birds. And the babies always seem to like the strong arm best. I feel sure it would be so with Adam Bede. Don't you think so, Hetty? Yes, said Hetty, abstractedly, for her mind had been all the while in the wood, and she would have found it difficult to say what she was assenting to. Dinah saw she was not inclined to talk, but there would not have been time to say much more, for they were now at the yard gate. The still twilight, with its dying western red and its few faint struggling stars, rested on the farmyard, where there was not a sound to be heard but the stamping of the cart-horses in the stable. It was about twenty minutes after sunset. The fowls were all gone to roost, and the bulldog lay stretched on the straw outside his kennel, with the black and tan terrier by his side, when the falling to of the gate disturbed them and set them barking like good officials, before they had any distinct knowledge of the reason. The barking had its effect in the house, for as Dinah and Hetty approached, the doorway was filled by a portly figure with a ruddy black-eyed face, which bore in it the possibility of looking extremely acute, and occasionally contemptuous, on market days, but had now a predominant after-supper expression of hearty good-nature. It is well known that great scholars who have shown the most pitiless acerbity in their criticism of other men's scholarship have yet been of a relenting and indulgent temper in their private life. And I have heard of a learned man meekly rocking the twins in the cradle with his left hand, while with his right he inflicted the most lacerating sarcasms on an opponent who had betrayed a brutal ignorance of Hebrew. 
Weaknesses and errors must be forgiven. Alas, they are not alien to us. But the man who takes the wrong side on the momentous subject of the Hebrew points must be treated as the enemy of his race. There was the same sort of antithetic mixture in Martin Poyser. He was of so excellent a disposition that he had been kinder and more respectful than ever to his old father, since he had made a deed of gift of all his property, and no man judged his neighbours more charitably on all personal matters. But for a farmer, like Luke Britton, for example, whose fallows were not well cleaned, who didn't know the rudiments of hedging and ditching, and showed but a small share of judgment in the purchase of winter stock, Martin Poyser was as hard and implacable as the northeast wind. Luke Britton could not make a remark, even on the weather, but Martin Poyser detected in it a taint of that unsoundness and general ignorance which was palpable in all his farming operations. He hated to see the fellow lift the pewter pint to his mouth in the bar of the Royal George on market-day, and the mere sight of him on the other side of the road brought a severe and critical expression into his black eyes, as different as possible from the fatherly glance he bent on his two nieces as they approached the door. Mr. Poyser had smoked his evening pipe and now held his hands in his pockets, as the only resource of a man who continues to sit up after the day's business is done. "'Why, lasses, you're rather late to-night,' he said, when they reached the little gate leading into the causeway. "'The mother's begun to fidget about you, and she's got the little un ill. "'And how did you leave the old woman be, Dinah? Is she much down about the old man? "'He'd been but a poor bargain to her this five year.' "'She's been greatly distressed for the loss of him,' said Dinah. "'But she seemed more comforted to-day. "'Her son Adam's been at home all day, working at his father's coffin, "'and she loves to have him at home.' She's been talking about him to me almost all the day. She has a loving heart, though she's sorely given to fret and be fearful. I wish she had a surer trust to comfort her in her old age. Adam's sure enough, said Mr. Poyser, misunderstanding Dinah's wish. There's no fear but he'll yield well in the threshing. He's not one of them as is all straw and no grain. I'll be bond for him any day, as he'll be a good son to the last. Did he say he'd be coming to see us soon? "'But come in, come in,' he added, making way for them. "'I hadn't need keep you out any longer.' The tall buildings round the yard shut out a good deal of the sky, but the large window let in abundant light to show every corner of the house-place. Mrs. Poyser, seated in the rocking-chair, which had been brought out of the right-hand parlour, was trying to soothe Totty to sleep, but Totty was not disposed to sleep, and when her cousins entered she raised herself up and showed a pair of flushed cheeks, which looked fatter than ever now they were defined by the edge of her linen nightcap. In the large wicker-bottomed armchair in the left-hand chimney-nook sat old Martin Poyser, a hale but shrunken and bleached image of his portly black-haired son, his head hanging forward a little and his elbows pushed backwards so as to allow the whole of his forearm to rest on the arm of the chair. His blue handkerchief was spread over his knees, as was usual indoors, when it was not hanging over his head, and he sat watching what went forward with the quiet outward glance of healthy old age, which, disengaged from any interest in an inward drama, spies out pins upon the floor, follows one's minutest motions with an unexpectant purposeless tenacity, watches the flickering of the flame or the sun-gleams on the wall, counts the quarries on the floor, watches even the hand of the clock, and pleases itself with detecting a rhythm in the tick. "'What a time o' night this is to come home, Hetty,' said Mrs. Poyser. "'Look at the clock, do. Why, it's going on for half-past nine, and I've sent the girls to bed this half-hour, and late enough, too, when they've got to get up at half-after four, 
and the mower's bottles to fill, and the baking, and here's this blessed child with the fever for what I know, and as wakeful as if it was dinner-time, and nobody to help me to give her the physic but your uncle, and fine work there's been, and half of it spilt on her nightgown. It's well if she's swallowed more nor all to make her worse instead of better. But folks as have no mind to be a use have all is the luck to be out of the road when there's anything to be done. I did set out before eight, aunt, said Hetty, in a pettish tone, with a slight toss of her head. But this clock's so much before the clock at the chase, there's no telling what time it'll be when I get here. What? You'd be wantin' the clock set by gentlefolks's time, would you? And sit up burning candle and lie abed with the sun a-baking you like a cowcumber of the frame. The clock hasn't been put forward for the first time to-day, I reckon. The fact was, Hetty had really forgotten the difference of the clocks when she told Captain Donnithorne that she set out at eight, and this, with her lingering pace, had made her nearly half an hour later than usual. But here her aunt's attention was diverted from this tender subject by Toddy, who, perceiving at length that the arrival of her cousins was not likely to bring anything satisfactory to her in particular, began to cry, "'Money! Money!' in an explosive manner. "'Well, then, my pet mother's got her. Mother won't leave her. Toddy, be a good dilling and go to sleep now,' said Mrs. Poyser, leaning back and rocking the chair, while she tried to make Toddy nestle against her. But Toddy only cried louder and said, "'Don't yock!' So the mother, with that wondrous patience which love gives to the quickest temperament, sat up again and pressed her cheek against the linen nightcap and kissed it, and forgot to scold Hetty any longer. "'Come, Hetty,' said Martin Poyser, in a conciliatory tone. "'Go and get your supper at the pantry, as the things are all put away, and then you can come and take the little un while your aunt undresses herself, for she won't lie down in bed without her mother. And I reckon you could eat a bit, Dinah, for they don't keep much of a house down there.' "'No, thank you, uncle,' said Dinah. "'I ate a good meal before I came away, "'for Mrs. Bede would make a kettle-cake for me.' "'I don't want any supper,' said Hetty, taking off her hat. "'I can hold Totty now, if aunt wants me.' "'Why, what nonsense that is to talk,' said Mrs. Poyser. "'Do you think you can live without eatin', "'and nourish your inside with stickin' red ribbons on your head? "'Go and get your supper this minute, child. "'There's a nice bit of cold pudding in the safe, "'just what you're fond of.' Hetty complied silently by going towards the pantry, and Mrs. Poyser went on speaking to Dinah. "'Sit down, my dear, and look as if you knowed what it was to make yourself a bit comfortable i the world. I warrant the old woman was glad to see you, since you stayed so long. She seemed to like having me there at last, but her sons say she doesn't like young women about her commonly, and I thought just at first she was almost angry with me for going.' Hey, "'It's a poor look-out when the old folks doesn't like the young ones,' said old Martin, bending his head down lower, and seeming to trace the pattern of the quarries with his eye. "'Aye, it's ill livin' in a hen-roost for them as doesn't like fleas,' said Mrs. Poyser. "'We've all had our turn at bein' young, I reckon, be it good luck or ill.' "'But she must learn to accommodate herself to young women,' said Mr. Poyser. "'For it isn't to be counted on as Adam and Seth'll keep bachelors for the next ten year to please their mother. That'd be unreasonable. It isn't right for old nor young neither to make a bargain all o' their own side. What's good for one's good all round o' the long run.' I'm no friend to young fellows a marryin afore they know the difference between a crab and an apple, but they may wait o'er long. To be sure, said Mrs. Poyser, if you go past your dinner-time there'll be a little relish o' your meat. You turn it o'er and o'er with your fork, and don't eat it after all. You find fault with your meat, and the fault's all in your own stomach. Hetty now came back from the pantry and said, I can take Totty now, aunt, if you like. "'Come, Rachel,' said Mr. Poyser, as his wife seemed to hesitate, seeing that Totty was at last nestling quietly. "'Thee'dst better let Hetty carry her upstairs while thee takes thy things off. Thee tired, 
it's time thee wast in bed. Thee bring on the pain in thy side again. Well, she may hold her if the child a go to her, said Mrs. Poyser. Hetty went close to the rocking chair and stood without her usual smile and without any attempt to entice Totty, simply waiting for her aunt to give the child into her hands. Wilt go to cousin Hetty, my darling? Will mother gets ready to go to bed? Then Totty shall go into mother's bed and sleep there all night. Before her mother had done speaking, Totty had given her answer in an unmistakable manner by knitting her brow, setting her tiny teeth against her underlip, and leaning forward to slap Hetty on the arm with her utmost force. Then, without speaking, she nestled to her mother again. Hey, hey, said Mr. Poyser, while Hetty stood without moving. Not go to cousin Hetty. That's like a baby. Totty's a little woman and not a baby. It's no use trying to persuade her, said Mrs. Poyser. She always takes against Hetty when she isn't well. Happen she'll go to Dinah. Dinah, having taken off her bonnet and shawl, had hitherto kept quietly seated in the background, not liking to thrust herself between Hetty and what was considered Hetty's proper work. But now she came forward, and putting out her arms, said, Come, Toddy, come and let Dinah carry her upstairs along with Mother. Poor, poor Mother, she's so tired. She wants to go to bed. Toddy turned her face towards Dinah and looked at her an instant, then lifted herself up, put out her little arms, and let Dinah lift her from her mother's lap. Hetty turned away without any sign of ill-humour, and taking her hat from the table, stood waiting with an air of indifference, to see if she should be told to do anything else. "'You may make the door fast now, Poyser. Alec's been coming this long while,' said Mrs. Poyser, rising with an appearance of relief from her low chair. "'Get me the matches down, Hetty, for I must have the rushlight burning in my room. Come, father.' The heavy wooden bolts began to roll in the house doors, and old Martin prepared to move by gathering up his blue handkerchief and reaching his bright-knobbed walnut-tree stick from the corner. Mrs. Poyser then led the way out of the kitchen, followed by the grandfather and Dinah with Toddy in her arms, all going to bed by twilight like the birds. Mrs. Poyser, on her way, peeped into the room where her two boys lay, just to see their ruddy round cheeks on the pillow and to hear for a moment their light regular breathing. "'Come, Hetty, get to bed,' said Mr. Poyser, in a soothing tone, as he himself turned to go upstairs. "'You didn't mean to be late, I'll be bound, but your aunt's been worried today. Good night, Lewinch, good night.'" End of chapter 14